You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast on a mission to find out what marketing strategies and tactics the top fintech companies use to acquire real customers, build a brand and grow revenue. I'm Araminta, your host for today, a marketing consultant at Mint Studios and partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. In this episode, I'm chatting with Valentina Christensen, Director of Growth and Communications at Oak North. Valentina has helped grow Oak North to the billion dollar company it is today, is a founding editorial board member of Influencer Magazine and is a self-professed fintech nerd. What is Oak North? Oak North is a UK bank that provides fast, flexible and accessible debt finance to fast growing businesses. It's been nominated as the fastest growing business in Europe by the Financial Times, has lent over £5 billion to hundreds of UK businesses and has been turning a profit since 2017. It's currently valued at $2.8 billion. In this episode, Valentina and I chat about how Oak North began their marketing on a tight budget, why they decided to focus on earned and owned marketing activities, and the benefits of focusing on targeted PR. Let's hear from Valentina. So Val, I know you love PR and and are a big believer in PR for business. In what way do you believe is financial services or fintech PR different than other kinds of PR? So I think probably one of the, maybe if I kind of go a a couple of steps back. So I I kind of went into PR because of what I saw in the, the 2008 financial crisis. So I was 18, I was starting at university doing a business degree. So I was um, blissfully unaware of just how significant it was. And really over that period, I sort of saw the changes that were happening in terms of regulation. Um, you know, there was obviously later on the change from the FSA to the FCA. You saw the introduction of new regulations such as the senior manager certification regime to kind of create more accountability for people. And at the same time, you saw, you know, an increased mandate from the regulators to to improve competition. And this all kind of culminated in a perfect storm because at the same time you had, uh, you know, the the birth of the smartphone, uh, which was obviously in 2007, but really from 2008 was when it started to go, you know, much more widespread. And so the combination of those two things, you know, I found very interesting and meant that there was going to be a lot of change in financial services. And the difference between financial services, PR versus other types of products are a couple of things. So one is, you know, the trust element. You know, it's not like, I don't know, shampoo or ice cream has experienced a scandal, you know, of the, of the, the extent that you saw with the 08 financial crisis. And therefore, the, the messages that you need to do, the amount of work that you need to do from a communication standpoint to try and rebuild that trust is obviously very different. The second thing is that financial services is pretty intangible. I mean, money is not intangible, but, you know, you put your money in a pension and you're not going to see it for the next 40, 50 years, right? So even trying to convince people to save money for a pension, to put money into a fixed term savings account, you know, to borrow money, they're all, uh, or to invest money, you know, they're all things that you can, you know, you can see on, on your phone, on your screen, but it's not like, again, like shampoo or ice cream or a consumer product, you know, that you could, you could see and touch and feel in the same way. In that way, because you can't give someone a pension or a savings account or a current account and immediately have them have, you know, a strong reaction to it, you've kind of got to, to build that trust up over time and enable them to see the, the value from that product over time. So that is quite different, the sort of the tangibility aspect, which means that to convince someone to choose your product over another, 
when they can't just go to the supermarket, pick up the different, you know, different products, smell them, you know, try them out like you could do with a consumer product, then you do need to kind of have those very strong messages up front to, to convince them. Um, and obviously that's where, where PR is, is, is really important. And I think the other thing is that with financial services, you know, it's not a subject people really like to talk about a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's something that is often, you know, many people might be embarrassed, you know, perhaps about the level of debt they have or the lack of savings that they have. Some people might be embarrassed because they've actually had help from their parents, you know, to, to pay for their university fees or to get them on the housing ladder. You know, that can be a whole host of things. Um, and so it's very personal. It's not something that people tend to, you know, talk about. Um, I, I read a survey a few years ago, you know, I saw a survey a few years ago where it was like, you know, something like a quarter of couples didn't know the other one's salary. Right, because it's just yeah, I saw that. Um, very private um, and not necessarily something, especially in the UK, which you'll really talk about. Um, you know, maybe in in other countries, and I'm from Denmark, it's a lot more open um, with these kinds of things, and and there's lots of companies that sort of share, you know, the salaries of the entire company. Um, so it's 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 very different, and in that way, I think um, you know, trying to get people to to talk about their 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 finances to talk about the products that they're using to talk about their investments their pensions their savings accounts and so on and to get them to actually be interested and listen to it and, and engaged with it is again something that uh, historically hasn't been very easy especially when you compare it to other products which which you might be or services that you might be doing uh, PR on so I'd say those are the kind of the three the three main areas I'd say were, were different. Yeah, and, and those also apply, I would say, to fintech marketing in general. Mm -hmm. um, and they're kind of, I also say that, and I also say that, you know, if if someone's not happy with their shampoo bottle or their, yes. even even their iPhone, if they break their iPhone, I mean, it sucks, but you can get another one. Yeah. But if you lose your entire pension or if someone scams you and you lose all your, yeah, all your money, that's not exactly. so funny anymore. So it, it impacts people a lot more. And as you said, it's personal. So it's a lot more trickier to navigate. I would say. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I think it's like if, if something's going really well in your finance, in some in a financial services product, it's happening more, certainly with the fintech businesses, but it didn't happen before that people would shout about it and be like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. They'd be like, well, it's a bank account, like it's supposed mm, to work, yeah. it's supposed to, you know, and especially in places like the US where you're obviously still paying for a checking account, there's an expectation that, well, you know, I'm paying for this. Why, why shouldn't it be um, working well? But then comparatively, when things go wrong, as you say, it's like everything blows up and everybody wants to talk about it. Everyone immediately goes on social media. They go to the press and so on. Whereas, again, if you, you know, tried a shampoo and you weren't, you know, particularly fussed about it, or even if you went to a restaurant, you know, you, you might write a, a negative review on like TripAdvisor if you if you weren't particularly happy with, uh, you know, with the food. But uh, it's not going to have that same impact. Um, so yeah, that's that's completely true. That obviously because of how important it is for people's everyday lives, it's one of those things that uh, kind of needs to be working all the time. But you're not going to get loads of praise just because it is. Yeah, that's definitely true. And we will touch back on this topic with regards to how Oak North approached uh, PR because I also find that very interesting. But before that, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about kind of Oak North in general. You've been with Oak North since uh, quite early on in their mm -hmm. journey, uh, which is cool because we can kind of see, well, you can 
you've kind of experienced that transition from maybe more startup to a much larger company. Uh, I like how at Oak North, you, you've mentioned in a previous podcast that you've always focused on being lean and efficient and having a small marketing budget. Why has that been a priority and how has that evolved over the years? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, as you said, I've, I've been with the business since um, full time since uh, summer of 2016. So I had my five year anniversary uh, eight days ago, in fact. Wow. Um, but before that, I was working with um, our founders, our co-founders, Rishi Kosa and Joel Perlman for a year before that consultancy side. So I've really been working with the business for six years. And as you say, pre pre-launch. You know, before we had our first institutional round, when we were 80 people, now we're 800 people. We've raised over a billion dollars. We're obviously valued at almost $3 billion. You know, we've lent over five billion pounds. So it's a very different. Um, and obviously, we've got the second, second part of the business, which is, which is licensing our commercial lending software to other banks. So it's a very different business than it was six years ago. I think in terms of how uh, it's changed. So obviously, in the beginning, you know, we were... A bootstrapping business, uh, you know, a startup with an idea, but we didn't have, you know, a proven proposition yet. Obviously, we we managed to turn a profit uh, pretty quickly, especially in, compa- you know, in comparison to most of our fintech peers. You know, fortunately, been able to to maintain that over the years. But I think that was really why initially the focus was on, in terms of the marketing mix, mix much more focused on PR or and owned and shared content rather than above the line or paid for media, uh, just because we didn't really have the budget to do it. And we, if you think about what, you know, in terms of the the messages that you're going to be using in PR, a lot of it's going to be um, focused on customer case studies, customer stories, celebrating those successes. And so, you know, fortunately, because of the experience that our customers had, many of them were willing to, you know, to do press uh, on, on their experience. And so that actually enabled us to, you know, to get a lot of free publicity in quotation marks, then, uh, then if we, you know, where if you're a business that maybe doesn't have as many customers who can, you know, shout about how great you are, and how good the experience has been, then you might need to pay for that space, you know, and, and for that kind of share of voice. So that was really why our focus, you know, for these, these first few years was on PR. Um, I think now as we kind of move on to the next stage of our journey, you know, we're much more focused on trying to build out a much um, broader marketing team so obviously the sort of pr communication specialism but then you might also have you know lead gen demand generation specialism you might have a direct marketing digital marketing specialization um so really trying to get um people who who have you know 10 15 years experience in in that particular part of you know of of marketing or marketing communications so that we can you know that we can have you know we can sort of take the business to that next stage which i guess uh, as we're now a scale up as we're profitable, as we've raised uh, significant capital from investors, you know, we we have the the budget, I guess, to experiment a bit more with some of those things, which perhaps we didn't have in the initial days. Where I'd say that's different and where it's really interesting for from my perspective is that that was obviously on the bank side. The other part of the business, as I mentioned earlier, is the sort of enterprise software business where we where we license our commercial lending software to to other banks, um, not in the UK, primarily in the US. And there, you know, the the focus has been really much more from day one to have, you know, a much broader marketing team, because that was obviously a part of business that evolved later on or that we launched later on. The bank obviously was launched initially. Uh, and so with the enterprise part of the business, uh, you know, we've been able to build a very broad marketing team from day one, which is obviously not something that we did with the bank. 
Um, but as I say, with the bank, we're now looking to kind of um, evolve the strategy to build out a broader team. But it's been very much focused on the, yeah, the earned, owned and shared up until this point. From what I understand, from the beginning at Oak North, you were focusing on experiments. You've mentioned that now you're experimenting even more. Mm. But at the beginning, you were also doing quite a bit of experimenting. And I think that's really interesting. Can you tell us a little bit, what was your approach to these different experiments? How did you execute them? Yeah, so I think, you know, again, kind of, when you when you don't have big budgets, you know, you've got to really, uh, you can't afford to sort of go broad brush and hope that you catch a couple of customers, you know, in your net. Um, you know, so I think there's that old adage with advertising, which is that, you know, I'll spend 20 million on advertising and 10 million of it will be a total waste. I just won't know which 10 million. You know, you can take a zero off that number, but, you know, or a few zeros off that number. But I much prefer it if, if you can track things um, you know, much more closely and, and, and really understand where those customers are coming from. So what we did or what we've done up until this point is really try to do much smaller, much more targeted events, uh, other types of marketing. So other types of communications, even if it's, you know, a newsletter, for example, like trying to make that as tailored to that specific audience as possible. Um, I guess more sort of account-based marketing, you know, where you will, if you've done a deal with a you know, a care home or retirement village, then, you know, it's about finding those other care homes and retirement villages that are of that same sort of size, perhaps in a similar area, who potentially will actually know that care home or retirement village, and then pushing out content to them, inviting them to webinars, inviting them to, you know, a roundtable or an event where they can hear from and meet their peers. You know, we've done things like that, where, you know, we've really tried to make it much more tailored and specific to the audience rather than you know, broad brush campaigns, which, you know, are often much more expensive because you just get, oh, well, you're going to reach this many people. <laughs> and actually, um, you know, a large portion of them probably aren't going to be quite a right fit. Another thing we did, which, you know, was, was which was quite different, um, obviously pre-COVID, was that we, we did dinners where we would invite uh, entrepreneurs to, to Rishi's uh, home. So we would have, you know, dinners where we would invite, you know, 10 to 15 entrepreneurs who we, you know, we've, we've lent to or that we would like to lend to and really just share stories about, you know, scaling a business, the challenges, some of the things that uh, from a, a people perspective, from a culture perspective, all of these things that uh, as a founder of a, of a fast growing business, it's always really helpful to, to hear from, from others, from, to hear from your peers. And so just kind of getting everybody gathered in a room um, to, to have those conversations was really valuable and also showed those, those businesses, well, you're in pretty good company, right? I mean, you're, we consider your business to be exceptional. Uh, you know, if we've lent to you, you've, you've, you have to have t- ticked a lot of boxes because we have a very rigorous credit process. And so if you're sat next to someone of a business that you really admire, that's really nice, right? To, to think, okay, well, they must think that my business is pretty good too, if if they're willing to lend to me. So I think um, that was something that was a bit of an experiment because I think you you kind of don't know what the reaction is going to be, and certainly it's not like you'd be invited round to the house of the CEO of one of the main high street banks. So I think you know that was something um, which which we tried and that's worked phenomenally well and and has been really good in terms of kind of creating that very personal experience, but also really creating those those kind of brand ambassadors and, and advocates. So about 60% of our new business, our qualified new business leads come from customer referrals. And that's obviously huge, but it's really down to the fact that we've invested in those relationships and we've 
you know, we've tried to build um, experiences for those customers that are genuinely different to what they would get from, from another lender. I'd love to to expand a little bit more on those entrepreneur events because I find that very interesting and I find that it's quite different. It's not like a typical marketing, uh, you know, um, activity. Mm. Um, so from from what I understand, you would invite existing Oak North uh, clients, customers over to the the CEO's or the co- your co-founder's house for a dinner and just to chat about like business. That's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, I mean, it could be existing and prospective. So, you know, it, okay. could be, uh, it could be a mix, but I think, um, you know, it was, yeah, something, you know, that those those worked really well and, uh, you know, were, as you say, yeah, opportunities to discuss, you know, different business topics. It was very informal. Very informal, um, okay. You know, so, so, you know, it's not like we'd have like a, a structured agenda, which everyone mm-hmm. had to stick to or anything like that. Um, but I think, you know, the fact is that, entrepreneurs the challenge is that a lot of the time you get invited to entrepreneur events and if you're a scaling business or you've turned over five million plus revenue you know a lot of the time you'll be invited to events but there are a lot of startups there a lot of businesses that haven't turned a profit yet some might be micro businesses you know one-man bands they're still entrepreneurs but it's they're in a very different growth stage to you and so it's rare that the content and um, the people that you meet are going to be as much use to you if you're if you're a scaling business or or the M of the SME. So the ability to meet those those peers, people who have been growing businesses of a similar size or perhaps even a larger size, um, will understand the challenges and opportunities um, and will be able to to share their experiences, um, which are likely to be much more relevant for you as a as a business owner. Yeah, you're fostering a, a community, essentially. Yeah. And how, how did you adapt with COVID? Uh, were you able to man- maintain those somehow online or so, is it something you're looking to do again? So we definitely want to do them again. What we've done mm-hmm. with online is that, um, to be honest, with a 10-person event, uh, kind of trying to recreate something like that online, I think would be very difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, I've done a few things just with with colleagues where you have like, you know, drinks and things like that, um, virtual drinks. And the moment you get above five or six people, it becomes very difficult because everyone's pausing to see if someone else has something to say. Yeah, yeah, that there's yeah. a lot of uh, awkward silence. Um, so what we've done instead is that we've just uh, made the online events much bigger. So we don't, you know, we have a few speakers. So we might have, you know, one of our customers like Leon um, spoke uh, last year. Obviously, they they are a very well-known brand. The co-founder, John Vincent, is uh, very charismatic and a uh, very successful entrepreneur. And obviously, Leon has a lot of different revenue streams, right? They've got the cookbooks, they've got the restaurants, they've got, you know, a kitchenware line and Peter Jones, John Lewis, you know, so they've kind of, and they, they sell um, their sauces in Sainsbury's, you know, there's a, a few different things like that. And they had some really interesting pivots or mini pivots during the, the early stages of the pandemic. So as the, the economy was sort of shutting down and I don't, you know, maybe you, maybe you didn't have this experience, but I certainly did in the early stages of the pandemic. You know, I tried to go to a supermarket. I couldn't get pasta, flour, eggs, bread, yeah, anything yeah. like that. And so to sort of uh, take some of the pressure off the supermarkets, which were desperately trying to restock shelves and to ensure that people in communities could get access to some of those, those essentials, Leon, uh, and also because it meant that they, they wouldn't have to close those particular sites, Leon sort of uh, began selling sort of boxes with milk, bread, eggs. So things that they would have normally been using for their breakfast pots or whatever, mm-hmm. um, they were then suddenly selling those um, direct to the consumers. And oh. so 
kind of hearing from an entrepreneur like John Vincent, hearing from a business like Leon, hearing about the, the way that that business has pivoted, you know, and, and some of the changes that they've made to their business to, to adapt, not only created a lot of hope and optimism for some of those other businesses, but also, you know, can, can really inspire them and make them think, well, actually, you know what, we can figure this out. And we've seen some amazing, um, you know, adaptations from, from our customers and some, some really brilliant pivots and other ways in which they've just kind of rose to the occasion to sort of help given, given the ongoing challenges. So with something like, like uh, that, we, we got, uh, you know, John Vincent and a few other speakers. We would have then uh, invite hundreds of customers to, to join and, and listen in. Uh, they could obviously still ask questions at the end, but it was a, more like a webinar rather than a, you know, a small tailored event. But ultimately, you're still getting some good, you know, still getting some of that benefit, some of that, those learnings that you would get if you were in a smaller format. Um, and yes, now, you know, that we are, we're out of, um, you know, out of the COVID uh, lockdown and hopefully this is, you know, that's it. Then yes, we, we, we want to, to restart those. This episode is sponsored by VC Innovations. VC Innovations is a full-stack marketing services agency dedicated to innovation industries with a special focus on fintech. They work with businesses across three key areas of marketing, demand generation campaigns, and event properties, including the must-attend fintech talent festival. Check out vcinnovations.co.uk to find out more. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good example. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, last week, I went to Fintech Week London, the first mm-hmm. in-person event of the year. And we were just saying with a few of the people that I met there, how although these events are great, what's really invaluable, what's really well valuable is those um, after the dinner afterwards, where you're, it's a bit more informal because when it's in front of a, when it's in front of a group of people and it's very formal, then sometimes, you know, you don't want to share certain things or it's a little bit yeah. more strict. And when it's a business, sorry, a business, when it's a dinner and nothing is recorded, it's more like just informal, mm-hmm. then that's when you really get the valuable that's when you really build relationships and when you get great information. So I like how you're you're doing that with dinners. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, and I think you know in a in a in a virtual environment, you know, it's not like we can say, oh, well, for the last eighteen months, you know, we haven't built any, you know, we haven't helped any. Of sure. Yeah. You know, I think it's like you just have to find slightly different ways. Obviously, we 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 speak to our customers every week, so we know what's going on with their business and. And obviously with COVID, you know, we've been having much more regular conversations with many of those customers to kind of keep track of how things are going. And so with those customers, you know, you might hear something and say, well, actually, you know, that's really interesting because um, I've spoken to a few other customers and they've had a similar challenge or they've had a similar issue. So we've, we've done a lot of that sharing of best practice where we've sort of collected views from a number of leading businesses in a particular sector, again, just anecdotally from, from those conversations. And then we've shared that or we've connected those customers directly to one another so that they can um, sort of exchange war stories and see, okay, well, how did you get around that? Or how did you, um, you know, how have you been been using this particular, you know, government benefit or government stimulus? Um, how how can, you know, we ensure that we, we make the most of it or um, that we use it effectively? Yeah, well, I, I like the focus on community, especially in a B2B mm. fintech. Um, I kind of want to go back to what you were saying before. Earn, you focus on earned and owned marketing activities instead of paid, especially at the beginning, right? 
Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting because a lot of fintech startups might start with paid first because you can maybe test a little bit more with paid, right? With PPC yeah. and with ads in general. So why did you decide to focus on earned and owned at the beginning uh, marketing activities? So I would say it's primarily because of the fact that we're a B2B business. And the reality is that just as we've just been discussing, the, the relationships that we're going to have with our customers by the very nature that we're B2B and therefore there's going to be fewer of them, right? We don't have millions of business customers yet. Um, we don't even have, you know, hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of business customers. The relationships you're going to have with them are going to are likely to be very different to, you know, I have a Monzo account. I have never spoken really to anybody at Monzo. I never needed to, sure. um, yeah. you know, so, so I think, you know, with something like with some of those fintech brands that have gone and spent money, uh, a lot of the time it's because they might have a product that that in theory could be used by most people, right? Everyone needs a current account. Um, and so to convince someone to switch to you and to use your current account, um, you know, uh, over, you know, the, the current account that you've had since you were 17 and, you know, you opened your first bank account, you know, you probably need to give the, the customer some reassurance that uh, you're a stable, credible brand. Um, and making sure that your brand is out there is, is a good way to do that. Um, what I think we would have found is that it probably would have been, would have done more harm than good because the reality is that not every business is the type of business that we can lend to. You know, we, we start at half a million pounds, go up to about 50 million pounds. When we started, because of the capital that we had and the capital requirements, the maximum loan we did was 15 million pounds. And it's sort of increased over time as we've got larger and um, you know, we've we've had um, larger capital, more capital at our disposal, and also because the the market segment that we've been lending to, we feel has has also got larger. But if we'd gone out and sort of said we're a business, you know, that's doing loans of half a million up, you'd probably still have loads of businesses getting in touch saying, "Oh, I know you said you only do half a million up," or they wouldn't have even read, bothered reading that part because we don't spend that much mm. time reading all yeah. the details on an ad. And so you'd have, have your team spending lots of time basically going through a number of leads that aren't really qualified. And that obviously detracts time away from pursuing those leads, which, which will ultimately be qualified. So I think, you know, we've, we found that for, for our particular business and for what we're focusing on, above the line initially wasn't, you know, wasn't something that we wanted to do. And even now, I mean, I say marketing, but it's not like we're going and, you know, planning to spend, you know, millions of pounds sponsoring events. It's just more that, you know, we might look at certain types of content, you know, sponsored content or e-marketing, e-blasts with particular types of publications or outlets that we know um, are widely read or, or um, are a key resource for, for customers within that particular market segment. What I like here is that you really, you really know your customer really well. Like you can, you can just tell that you know how to build a relationship with them. You know what kind of content they're going to read. You know maybe what, what their triggers are. I mean, I know your co-founders mm. used to be that target market, right? Which is, yeah. which is why they, they set it up. So obviously they're in a good position. But I wonder you specifically, how did you go out and do that in-depth research? How did you figure out, okay, this is kind of what they're reading. This is how the best way to approach them. Yeah, yeah. so I think um, with that, it was, again, it kind of goes back to one of the points I made in the beginning, that we were very mm. lucky that because of the experience they'd had, in, okay. in getting a loan from us, so many of the customers were willing to do PR. And mm -hmm. so as a result, I would be, you know, I would be introduced and my team would be introduced to 
you know, dozens and dozens of businesses who would be very happy to take 10 minutes on the phone to share their experience with us so we can we can know what worked well, what didn't, um, you know, where the potential areas for improvement. We could hear, you know, other other anecdotes that perhaps you wouldn't read in a credit paper. So, you know, it might very well be that actually, you know, there's a um a business or a customer who comes and says, you know, we really need the capital very quickly. We'd heard that you guys were were quick. You know, we said we needed the capital in five days. Uh, so we didn't really expect to hear hear anything back. The team came back and said, no, we'll make it work and then did. And so for us, that means that anytime we ever need something quick in the future, we're going to come to you guys because you're the only ones that we know who can do that. But also in those conversations, you can hear, you can ask them, what publications do you read? What events do you attend? You know, are there any newsletters that you absolutely, you know, will open every single time? And then you can start to see, okay, well, those are the types of publications where where we should be. And what we found was that obviously national newspapers have very wide readership, which um, which is and, and they're very good for sort of their corporate profile. So, you know, it's great to have, um, you know, an appearance in the Financial Times, you know, or the Times, the Telegraph, you know, talking about a new appointment or uh, a new fundraise or whatever it might be. But the reality is that a business who's looking for some money to open a new restaurant or care home or whatever doesn't really care how profitable you are as a bank and probably doesn't care how much money you've raised. Um, you know, so those are good corporate. They're really good for corporate announcements. But we found that the publications that uh, that are most widely read are those sort of sector vertical trade publications. So, you know, if you're if you're looking to lend to a nursery business or a hotel business, a restaurant business, etc., there's going to be a number of vertical trades or sector vertical trades for that for that those businesses, which are likely to be, you know, widely read by by those types of customers. And we can also track, right? We can see where those where leads are coming from. Yeah. So someone says, I, you know, got in I'm getting in touch because I saw this um this article where I saw you did this deal with that business. Can we have a conversation? Then um, you know, you know which publications to keep going back to. Now of course we have done a lot of deal related news with with uh with the national press too, but I think um, you know day to day, you know you're not going to be in the nationals every day, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so um, the sector verticals have a well, the trade sector verticals have a really important role to play um, for us as well. Yeah, that's an interesting mix of PR. PR turning itself into customer research, which then is more PR, and then it just it's like an interesting no virtuous yeah. circle. Yeah. If someone who's listening to this and it's uh, they're they're a founder or they're the marketing manager at a, at a small fintech startup, how how do you even get started with that? Because it sounds like you first or first the customer came to you, and then they were willing to write a story up right for PR, yeah. and then that's how it came out. So would you say reach out to your customers, write up a case study like a successful case study, and then push that out? I would say PR. that marketing and sales or whoever is on your front line. So in Oak North Bank's case, it's um, the debt finance directors. For the um, enterprise software side of the business, it's our QCs, our quota carriers, as we call them. Um, okay. And uh, and you really have to be having, you know, you need to speak with them every day. I mean, they should, you know, you should be an extension of each other's team in that way because it's from them who you're going, you know, you can ask them if they've done a deal, and the customer, they know the customer's happy. And you know when the customer's happy because the customer probably will be telling you, you this has been amazing. Mm -hmm. 
then of course you're going to be like, well, this is a great one that we should be we should be doing some PR and marketing with. So a lot of the time it's that those those members of the team, the frontline team or the, the sales team, will come to us and say, we definitely should do some something with this customer because you know they've been great. Or they're a really interesting business. They they have a really unique business model. So they'd be a very interesting case study for us, which could then get other businesses that might have non-traditional business models to also get in touch. So it's different things like that. I think if you're having regular conversations and catch-ups, and I mean, we, you know, I speak to to Ben Barbnell, Oak North Bank's head of debt finance every day. And I speak to, uh, you know, multiple members of the, the debt finance team um, every week. So, um, you know, I think that's that's a very important part of it. And I would say in terms of getting started with the, the function, I mean, if you're a very kind of early stage startup, having an agency in those early days, whilst it's expensive, you know, it's going to be more expensive probably than hiring someone who's sort of a medium level in their career, like a manager level, um, you know, so they maybe have five, six years experience. Of course, hiring an agency is going to be more expensive, you know, initially. But I think what it can do is help to kind of lay some of those foundations, help you to get some of the core messaging uh, really, really clear internally, help you to identify who your spokespeople should be, get them media trained and so on. And then once you have those strong, good foundation in place, then, you know, you can, um, you know, you can look at starting to build a team internally. A lot of the time as well, when you're a startup, you don't really need full-time resource. <laughs> um, mm. It's, uh, again, if, you, if you've got a, a lead gen or a demand gen team, it's expensive. And if you don't have the money to do that, um, you know, it's potentially better just to have an agency for a period of time, as I say, help get that foundation in place and also help you to discover where the gaps are so that you can then start to build the team that you really need. You know, I think, and I've had from so many people, so many marketing contacts where they've said they had this great opportunity. They came in, you know, they were given budget to, let's say, have a team of 10 people. And it's, it's that thing, you know, you always, you're given that budget. So you think, well, I have to use it, right? I have to use the budget. And if I don't hire these 10 people quickly, then the opportunity is going to be lost. Because if, obviously, if you can do it all with five people, then eventually the business is going to say, well, you don't need 10 people because you're doing a great job with just mm-hmm. five. So this, this challenge with a lot of um, people come in and they're building a function from scratch, they're given X amount of budget and therefore then feel the need to, spe- to, spe- to spend it all or to build the team to that exact number of people. And actually, it's probably better to get your feet on the table, spend a bit of time getting to the business and then start to hire people as you need them. And as you can see, okay, this is where we have a gap. This is where we need to, have, to bring in some additional resource. And so that's what we've what we've done, and that's another part of how we've managed to keep it very lean, but still very effective. Yeah, I think that's very good advice to fellow fintech founders and uh, marketeers. I have one last question for you, Val. You said that you're a big fan of mentoring, and currently you mentor others. What are some of your favorite resources uh, for, whether it's fintech founders or marketeers, but in general that help with that kind of mentoring if someone's looking for community or looking for books or podcasts what are what are some of your favorite resources to turn to yeah so i would say probably one of the best resources for me throughout my career has been the chartered institute of public relations or the cipr you know membership is is a couple of hundred pounds so you know mm-hmm. if your company is not willing to, to pay for it which is very unlikely then you, know, you can probably afford it yourself fingers crossed but you know that's been an amazing resource because uh you know you have obviously there's so many different types of community groups. So you have the opportunity to meet and network many, many other professionals, um, you know, in this space, people with decades of experience um, who've really been around the block and who have seen how things have changed. 
And what I found, at least in my experience with the CIPR, is that everybody's very willing to get on a call for half an hour and, and let you pick their brains on something. Um, and that's been how I've I've discovered mentors, but also how I've found people to mentor um, because people have reached out, you know, off the back of that. So I've judged the awards three three for three years. I'm on the editorial board for the magazine that the CIPR publishes called Influence. So people have kind of reached out, um, you know, through that. The other thing is obviously that through the CIPR you do CPD. So, you know, your, your professional development, a uh, certain amount of hours every, every year. And those can be on, on a multitude of different topics, everything from social media through to crisis comms, through to investor relations and so on. So, again, you can have this access to this huge database of resource in the form of webinars, you know, big white papers um, or long form reads, short form reads. So that, that's, that's been very helpful. And that's been a great way for me to, to meet other people and for other people to reach out to me. I would also say, you know, I've been lucky to be invited to speak at a number of universities, um, whether it's for fintech societies, whether it's for women in fintech societies or women in business societies, my own university, King's College. So I think, you know, there's that's been another way where I've met some, you know, fantastic people who are sort of starting out in their careers, you know, and, and had the opportunity to to then mentor and work with some of those people over the over the years. But again, you have to kind of have the, I guess, the the courage to come up to someone and ask them, like, could I grab a coffee? Yeah. You know, I'm not saying be, to be all awkward and be like, can you mentor me? But, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, you have to build up a relationship and, and yeah. that has to start somewhere. And, you know, and I, I'm, I'm a big networker. I love networking. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy going to events and meeting new people. In fact, that's how I met my, my fiance by going to a PR wow. dinner. I wasn't supposed to be at, um, you know, and I got a ticket from my colleague who couldn't go, and that's when we met for the first time. Wow. So, um, you know, it's a it's a great way to meet new people, and you have to. But again, you have to kind of be willing to give up those evenings and willing to kind of take the time to build mm -hmm. your network. And I'd also say, you know, from my perspective, it's been uh, from the places that I've worked, you know, so been really fortunate that, uh, you know, in my career I've had opportunities and experiences to work with some really fantastic people um one of the board directors at my first company is a mentor to me today but again you have to invest in that relationship and you have to make sure that over the years you make sure that you're continuing to stay in touch and sort of stay abreast of what's happening in each of those careers and what i would say is now there's even times when she'll come to me and ask me for my advice on something so you kind of get that mm -hmm. reverse mentoring yeah because as i've grown in my career i had in-house experience before she did so then it was, uh, you know, you kind of have that um, that uh, ability to sort of brainstorm ideas and discuss things and, and different challenges and opportunities that you might experience in-house versus agency. You know, so I think that's that's also something that the, the mentoring relationship can change over time. Yeah, I, I'm very big on mentoring, too. And I think I think the easiest way, because it, it can be a bit difficult going up to someone and saying, you know, so I think like the easiest way is to be part of a community first and then be super active in that community, like asking a yeah. lot of questions. And then someone eventually will be like, you've got a lot of questions. Uh, this is how I have my current mentor. And yeah. and now we have like a group. We're a little group of mentors. And literally this is what's happening right now is now they're, he's coming to me for questions. And I'm like, it's, you know, it's reverse, reverse yeah. mentoring, which feels like a little community, which is very That's useful, great. I think. So it's it's really good. Great. Well, thank thank you so much, Val, for for coming on. I really appreciate all your insights uh, from Oak North. So um, so yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks no, again. Thanks very much for having me. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com. If you'd like to come on the podcast or just share some feedback, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We're always looking for ways to improve the podcast. That's all for today. See you next time.